University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkway. Visit ubc-br.org or at UBCBR on Facebook for more information. All right, take a look at the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 42. Now, you might be thinking, wait a second, that's not Nehemiah. Yeah, last week, uh, something uh, occurred in me as I was processing. Can you all hear me? me? Ron, let's turn me up just a little bit. Can you hear me now? You think it's going bad? Oh, man, am I going to be forced to stand behind this the whole time? (laughs) I might carry this with me around everywhere I go. We wrapped up our conversation last week in Nehemiah. Um, Things just seemed unsettled for me. Uh, We had dove head deep into this difficult chapter, chapter 5, in which Nehemiah begins to uncover these series of economic injustice happening in his community, this uh, ridiculous inflation, these ridiculous interest rates, uh, indentured servitude and forced labor. And we use this to talk about the injustices that are happening in our world. But as we just started to build the case around God's economy in which we are called to be conscious uh, of what we buy and how it affects others, how we seek not only just our our daily bread, and we're charged to share our resources with others, we ended the conversation kind of abruptly, and so I thought we might revisit it this morning. The Pilgrim's Progress author John Bynum wrote, You have not lived today until you have done something for someone who can never repay you. Our profound sense of generosity is where we left our conversation last week, and so I want us to read this text that I mentioned last week in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with all the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who was in need, They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those being saved. So let's get this straight for just a second. The first church was a a community of people who learned and prayed together, ate meals together, worshipped God together, served together, shared their resources with each other, What a bunch of hippies. Sounds so fascinating. Making sure that every person is taken care of. Sharing their resources, not keeping one's resources for oneself. And as we take a closer look, we see how God used this community. This mutual sharing and praying and learning and serving and worshiping and eating and living together. They expanded and grew the kingdom of God. Verse 47 tells us that the Lord added to their number daily those being saved. And this line will repeat again and again in the book of Acts. So what you're telling me is that there is a formula to the way of Jesus. Loving your neighbor in the same way you love yourself, togetherness in community with fellow followers of Jesus will actually make a difference in the world. It's like God knows what God is talking about. 
Instead of providing for the needs around them and giving to their church community out of concern of being blessed in return or adding a certain percentage to balance the religiosity of finances in their life, instead of giving based on a guilt obligation or worrying about if they're getting tax credit for it, the people gave out of the generosity of their heart. They were responding to how God was working in their lives. Jesus said, may the world know that you are my disciples by your love. Love includes generosity. But is that what we're really known for? Later this month, Disney will release a live-action version of the classic Dumbo. Yeah, it's an elephant that flies. My real excitement about the movie is that Michael Keaton is in the movie. I don't know if you all have caught on to this, but in the last couple years, Michael Keaton is back. This is the guy from my childhood, of course, was Batman, Mr. Mom, Beetlejuice, and Multiplicity. I don't know if you've seen some of his recent stuff, uh, Birdman or Spotlight or Spider-Man, but in 2016, Keaton did a movie called The Founder, and it tells the story of Ray Kroc, the salesman who turned two brothers' innovative fast food eatery, McDonald's, into the biggest restaurant business in the world. Sounds uplifting, just like the Happy Meal, right? Except Ray Kroc used a combination of ambition and persistence and ruthlessness to grow this organization to what it is today. The film delves into Kroc's willingness to cut legal work and dietary concerns to make McDonald's what it is today. And in 1975, Kroc told People magazine, it's true that it would be hard to start a business like McDonald's today with all the interference you'd get from the government and from unions. The result, the rates of diabetes-related diseases like type 2 diabetes and heart disease have skyrocketed and McDonald's continues to grow in our culture. After using the legal system to purchase the name and the building from the McDonald's brothers, Kroc gleefully told Time magazine, I ran them out of business. The McDonald's brothers were never paid their royalties, which would be somewhere in the ballpark of $100 million per year. The next time you bite into a Big Mac, just think of Ray Kroc. As the narcissistic person once said, we live in a world of haves and have-nots. We live in a world with an appetite for more. This is what we talked about last week as we live in such a consumer culture. But consider that Jesus is inviting us into a different way. This is where we were going with our conversation last week. The invitation of Jesus is to resist stinginess and greed and self-centeredness and its bedfellows. The invitation of Jesus is to find a better way. The Bible talks about this a lot, uncomfortably amount. In the book of Proverbs alone, Proverbs 11:28, those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. Proverbs 14:31, whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Proverbs 15:27, the greed the greedy bring ruin to their household, but the one who hates bribes will live. Proverbs 22:9, the generous will themselves be blessed for they share their food with the poor. Proverbs 28, 22, the stingy are eager to get rich and unaware of the poverty that awaits them. Proverbs 28, 25, the greedy stir up conflicts, but those who trust in the Lord will prosper. If we go back to our focus of last week of turning ourselves away from just consuming and considering who it affects, we see that Jesus is inviting us into a different way. As we come to grips with the abundance and ongoing blessings of what God has and continues to give us, our hearts should settle into a place of gratitude. Proverbs 14.30 states, 
that the heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bone. You see, gratitude gives us peace. Gratitude gives us peace in the inner crisis of envy and jealousy and selfishness and greed. It gives us peace amidst the mentality of, I wish I had, they don't deserve, or I should get. It gives us peace against the emotions and actions that accompany the emotions that act out in resentment and and hatred and ill will. It gives us peace that genuine life, wise living, is found in what God says it's best. But I think our deep and ongoing gratitude towards God, it equips us to love generously. One of the greatest emotional transformations of gratitude is love. There is no way to be a person of both love and a person of self-centeredness. Self-centeredness wishes for the reduction of another person, while love desires that other people's needs are met. And so a heart full of gratitude with each person sees them as a child of God. As we recall the words of Jesus when he said that the greatest thing we can do with our lives is to love God and to love other people in the way that we love ourselves. As one author put it, true gratitude prompts a desire to see others similarly blessed while also loosening the hold of our possessions, having been marked with gratitude. You see, this is what's happening in the first church community. This isn't some mandate for compassion or charity from Jesus to the church. These are people who are genuinely responding to what God was doing in their life, and the response was to love their neighbor as themselves. You see, the generosity pours out into sharing meals together, into taking care of each other's needs, into living life well together. Stop and consider the the psychology of, of gratitude and of giving generously. Consider the moments in your life that you were able to give someone a gift out of your love and joy for them. I think about the joy in my children's face on Christmas morning. I remember the look on Jennifer's face when I presented her in an engagement ring, when in the back of my mind I was thinking, please don't say, oh, that's it. It's so tiny and cute. <laughs> but then I think of the even greater joy I felt building water filtration systems for impoverished families in Ecuador, building homes for tsunami victims in Sri Lanka, building raised garden beds in Clayton, North Carolina for single parents who wanted to provide their children with healthy food. The joy I've received from these acts of service give me an even greater joy. Now imagine that same feeling every single day of giving yourself away as an expression of God's love. It would be pretty awesome. Have you ever considered that your life And my life could be blessed by having less and giving more to others. Stop and consider the people who've invested in your life. As I was contemplating this this morning, some names came to mind. You won't know them. Maria Holt from Salem Baptist Church, who for the last 25 years has not missed a single Sunday that she has taught children in that church. Craig Andrews invested time in me as a teenager who was rather annoying by picking me up and occasionally taking me to Krispy Kreme just so we could talk about the chaos of teenage years. Jake Rigsby invested his joy and his humor, his time, and his ability to listen. 
I think of professors from my undergraduate years like Tim Brock and Glenn Jonas and Roy DeBrand that gave their wisdom and patience. I think of my parents who have so overwhelmingly shed grace and peace into my life. You see, when we are talking about generosity, we're not just talking about giving to the church. We so often get caught up in these words of tithing and offering and giving, but we're talking about being generous with something so much more. We are talking about being generous with our our resources and our compassion to our neighbors, both the ones that are physically near to us and those we don't see in our community. New Testament scholar Peter Block writes, the usual argument against the neighborly way is that we don't have time for it. Time has become the incarnation of scarcity. No time is always the argument against collaboration, collectiveness, participation, and democracy. Yet God so generously gives in and through us that we might compel ourselves forward to simply listen to the story of another person, to build mutual respect through presence. You see, we're talking about a generosity that equips us not always to get what we want and what we desire, but sometimes we seek the best interest of another person first as Christ has called us to. This is first and foremost what Christ has called us to through the church, to be a people that invest in the work of God. The great priest Henry Nouwen says, to set our hearts on the kingdom therefore means that we make the life of the spirit within and among us the center of all that we think and say and do. You see, giving of ourselves is investing in the work of God. It's not some awkward or nasty conversational practice, but instead it's it's an invitation into healthier relationships with God and in partnership with what God is doing in the world. Now one goes on to write that giving and raising resources is first and foremost a form of ministry. It's a way of announcing our vision and inviting others to participate in our mission. So what is our vision, UBC? UBC is a caring and diverse family of Christians united in love who acknowledge Christ as our Lord and the Bible as our authority. How does that take shape? We claim that we want to glorify God through worship, to proclaim the message of God's salvation, to teach and equip Jesus' followers to grow and to serve, and to minister to the needs of our members and to the world around us. If we believe in that vision, if we believe it's amazing and exciting, then we invest ourselves, all of ourselves, into such things. Generosity is believing that the ministry of introducing people to the love of Jesus is the most fundamental thing of our life. So one thing that can be said with great integrity about UBC is that we are a faith community striving to use our resources to further the kingdom and not our own little kingdom. When you give to UBC, you're giving to a faith community that's striving to bring the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven by serving the needs around us, by equipping and encouraging Jesus' followers to be his light in the world, by creating a safe space of belonging for all people to experience the generous love of God and strengthening relationships together in the church and outside of the church in this beautiful thing called community. Giving is not just about throwing 10% into the offering plate. It's about sharing the overwhelming blessings of your life through the church with all people. What if we were a people who were generous 
and how we invest in the work of God. But this must cause us to rethink what we actually have. For so many of us, we think we have very little, but we have so much. Jesus compares the kingdom of God to a mustard seed, this tiny little seed that can so easily fall out of your hand. Jesus says that can be grow up into this glorious 20-foot tree. I believe generosity works in the same way. For many, when we consider what we have, we think it's small and unimpactful. And yet, out of the generosity of our hearts, God begins to pour forth blessings. Now stop and consider what resources, both monetarily and organically, are based on who you are as an individual. Instead of looking and working out of a scarcity, work and live out of an abundance. Before you get to anything monetarily, I want you to think about you. You are a beautiful, gifted, vibrant, and unique individual. Your personality, your passions, your gifts, your strengths are uniquely embedded within you to equip you to do all that God has in store for you. Now stop and consider the abundant blessings of you, this unique creation of God, how you can generously encounter your neighbors in this church community and beyond. Now consider your financial circumstances. Nobody in this space is part of the 1%. That's why they're called the 1%. Yet we think we are so underwhelmed with our resources. But if we think about how we might sacrifice on a day-in, day-out basis so that other people might seek the kingdom of God. Take, for example, going out to lunch each day. The average person spends $10 to $15 out to lunch each day. What if a couple times a week you, you chose to fast or to bring your lunch to work? How might you use that $30 to $45 to meet the needs around you? Instead of going to the latest movie when it comes out, dropping $12 plus like $30 for popcorn and then $45 for a sip of Coke, what if you waited till you could live stream it and then use those resources to provide to someone else in need? You see, when we re-examine what we actually have, we come to find that we could be a lot more generous than we thought. I dare you to be creative. Find ways of, and enjoy giving to others. You might not be able to rebuild a family whose fence fell down in your neighborhood, but you might be able to provide your time to save them money instead of having to hire somebody to come and do it. You might not be able to give that family who's in financial difficulty an entire month's worth of food, but maybe you could provide them one meal a week. This is what begins to happen in the book of Acts chapter 4, and it says, all the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed any possessions was their own, but they shared everything they have. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God, God's grace was so powerfully at work within them that there was no needy person among them, and from time to time those who owned land and houses sold them, brought the money for the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need." Verse 36 says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. You see, there is no limitation to the generosity of people within the first church. These people were selling their land and their homes and cutting out of their abundance and sharing their resources. And Luke says, as a result, the needs were being met. God was so powerfully at work. They were in one heart and mind. 
This is how the first church expressed themselves from the generosity of God out of their lives into the lives of others. How might you share your life with others? See, what we need to learn is that giving is an act of community. Giving is not just something we do individually, but giving is something we do as a faith community, both in relationship with God and relationship with one another. The problem we have with the first century church is we see ourselves apart from the church, something that we do as part of our lives, but what they viewed themselves as, this was their community, this was their lives, and so they contributed. I want you to pause and consider what your generosity could do. Again, don't get caught up in these words of tithing and giving and offering. Think about your time and your resources and your strengths and your passions and your giftedness. Imagine what that could do. Paul boldly states in 2 Corinthians 8, But since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in love we had kindled within you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. What could you do with the generosity of God in and through you? What if we stopped thinking of giving to the church as just a check we drop in the offering plate, but started thinking about how we might use our lives to bless the world. Imagine what your generosity could do. Now imagine the collective pooling of our resources, our time, our energy, our strengths, and imagine what our generosity can do. As I look out at you this morning, I see a people of generosity. I see people like Don Garland and Aaron Biggers who spend more time on this campus than I think they could care to write down, repairing and fixing things. I see Ann Kramer, who's not here this morning, probably the first Sunday she's missed in like 10 years, who writes down every single word that is in any meeting, so graciously giving of her time. I think of someone like Susan Riska, who is here day in and day out, giving of herself and her time, and probably will murder me after worship today for name dropping. I think of Bonnie Ellis, who sacrifices multiple hours a week just to come and to help us manage the office. I think of people like Ken Tipton, Rebecca Odenwald, and Leslie Kilpatrick, and David Patterson, and Glenn Linzer, and Sherry Washusen, and Adam Ellis, and Todd Justice, the people you have to thank for bringing me here, so maybe you want to have a conversation with them afterwards. But these are people who gave a year and a half of their lives, week in and week out, to filter resumes, to have conversations. I think of people like Patty Nolan, who so graciously gives of herself to Highland with love. Gail Wager, who started this scholarship that we might have college students to come and sing with us on Sunday morning. I think of somebody like Gay Corson, who spent three years the chairman of the personnel committee. Good Lord, there is an extra crown in your jewel of righteousness in heaven. I think of Kay and Bob Hawthorne, who so graciously give of their time to make the ministry of music happen in this church. Think of Michael and Carolyn Cavanaugh and Margaret Stanley, who probably collectively have given 50-plus years to Church of the Nations. If you combine all your times together, I didn't mean to age y'all in or anything. Think of Martha and Charles Forbes, who so graciously give of themselves to Church of the Nations, to the Bible studies we have here throughout the week. Now, I could go on and on, and there's probably somebody in here who's mad that I didn't say your name. But we are a community of generosity. 
And the work is not done yet. Because the kingdom of God has not come into fruition yet. So consider your gifts and your strengths and your resources. How we might use them not to further our little kingdom of UBC, but further the kingdom of God by going out into this community and loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. Our time of response this morning is simple and it's messy. Go and find someone in this worship space that you need to thank for their generosity. Maybe you have been blessed or you have witnessed the blessings of someone else giving their strengths and their resources and their time and their passion. Go and say thank you. Go and give a word of encouragement. Maybe your response this morning is to realize that now is the time you need to join this faith community. You need to be part of something local where you are sharing of yourself and being blessed by sharing with others. Maybe your response time this morning is a prayerful consideration of what God is leading you to share to this faith community and to your neighbors. Let's enter into this messy time of response together, and I'll invite us to the table of the Lord in a few moments.